0: It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts.
1: Yeah, and all things being equal, what that really translates to is they let me in the door again. (laughs) And nobody else showed up at 5. (laughs) I did, so here we are. Well, all kidding aside, it's always a delight and a privilege to spend some time with you as we do each and every day, Monday through Friday at this time, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk, and we'll do more of the same on today's program. A little bit later on, syndicated talk show host, constitutional expert and lawyer, Bob Zadek will join us, and uh, we're going to kind of unpack what's been going on, this re- recent hubbub over GameStop. My goodness, the the trading frenzy, unprecedented. And, of course, initially there were all these rumors about people on Reddit individual small-time investors diving in, shorting the stock, driving up the prices in a company that's been struggling in recent years, as most brick-and-mortar retail are. Well, now we're beginning to understand that that just simply is not only not the case, but probably pretty much impossible when you look at what happened to the individual share price and the number of times the shares traded hands. So, if it wasn't a group of investors on Reddit kind of doing the age-old pump-and-dump scheme, is there something more insidious going on here? And could it point to further flaws within the system that allows the big boys to take advantage of the little guys? (laughs) That never happened. Well, we'll break it all down for you, talk about some important warnings as well, when Bob Zadek joins us later on in the hour. We lead off tonight with word out of San Jose that a federal district court judge has granted, at least in part, an emergency motion. This is related to a request filed by five churches seeking a stay against Governor Gavin Newsom and Santa Clara County's public health Department. As you may or may not be aware, in a split decision on Friday, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that indoor religious services in California can resume at 25 percent capacity. Well, how do these two fit together? What is the short-range and long-range implications in the wake of COVID-19 and all of these restrictions as it relates to Religious freedom in California, well, the best man with the best answer is Brad Dacus, constitutional lawyer, he and the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute. I'm reading on the surface that this is generally good news is i am, am I correct counsellor
2: uh yes, you are correct uh, santa Clara county Craig is, uh, and which is San Jose area uh, you know they went ahead and Decided after the February 5th decision by the Supreme Court saying California cannot uh, uh, stop indoor services completely, have to at least allow the 25% occupancy. After that, Santa Clara County says, you know what, Um, that really doesn't apply to us because we have our own system we've set up, and that really only applied to California's uh, four-tier system. It doesn't really apply to us, so we're going to keep having these churches shut down completely as far as the indoor services. And when they came out with that statement, our chief counsel, Kevin Snyder, immediately, uh, uh drafted a motion, uh, for immediate injunctive relief, uh, and that was sent in, uh, immediately to the uh, federal district judge, uh, Edward Villa. And he granted in part the emergency motion, uh, yesterday, late yesterday. It was filed on behalf of the five churches, uh, seeking a stay of that, um, of, of the of Gavin Newsom and Santa Clara County's uh, public health officer, so uh, position. So we're very pleased um, that uh, that this was uh, granted. Mind you, there's still issues we need to deal with. We're, we're, we weren't totally satisfied because, you know, we uh, we pointed out that there's still all these airports owned by the county. The big airport owned by the county in Santa Clara that uh, county that has, um, you know, 100% occupancy. It's filled with people. And, you know, why you know, and churches should have the, the same, at the very least, the same accessibility as any uh, secular institution. That's in essence what the Supreme Court ruled earlier. So we're still litigating that. We're going to get that hopefully up to the Supreme Court and give a final knockout punch uh, to uh, the likes of uh, California and other states that it still insists on being discriminatory and unreasonable and treating churches uh, like second-class citizens to other institutions um, that we've seen so consistently done.
1: Now, I'm curious, if you can comment, and if you can't, we fully understand, but if you can comment, uh, one of the aspects of this debate going back and forth has been the enormous fines leveled by the County of Santa Clara. And we know specifically in the case of Calvary Chapel San Jose those fines are monumental we've even heard word that the, um, the the property lien holder is getting nervous are there potential implications of all of this could could also provide some relief in relationship to these fines because if they're found if the if the regulations are found to be unconstitutional then i would conclude that the the fines leveled against the churches for quote-unquote violating said regulations would also be deemed unconstitutional wouldn't they
2: uh p- potentially uh, and i'm sure they're they're going to use this case law um to for their advantage if, if anything on appeal for pe- uh, appellate purposes uh you know but the uh you know the the question comes down to part of it is um, you know even if they had the twenty five percent allotment and, and was allowed, um, is that enough to vindicate the church completely that may or may not have met or exceeded that twenty five percent limit, but even then again, um, if we get what we're trying to perceive or uh, per- pursue, which is the Supreme Court saying no this treatment of churches was unconstitutional from day one in, uh, in, co- in comparison to other secular institutions that had 100% occupancy, then I think that could be a major game-changer. And that is uh, one reason why we at Pacific Justice Institute are working so diligently on this case. Um, we have it factually laid out very well um, with the, uh, as a matter of evidence, and uh, I think that that's what the Supreme Court is insisting on. This last case, on February fifth, they didn't give us—you know—they didn't give all that we were hoping that they were going to be giving in this case because the attorneys—it wasn't us—that the attorneys who prepared it um, didn't have the evidence to support enough the uh, position that they were taking. According to at least two of the Supreme Court judges, and uh, three of them said that's, that's fine, but two said no, 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 we need more record, we need more more evidence, and uh, so we have been very forward-looking and we have uh, lots of evidence back in our pleadings, and we are ready for the Supreme Court uh, to, to hear our case as soon as we can get it up there, and we're moving very quickly.
1: So at this point, then, this preliminary injunction is simply that. It puts things on pause for a moment. It allows churches to meet at the 25% occupancy level, and then this is all sort of awaiting uh, a final weigh-in from the Supreme Court is that is that correct?
2: Well, right, and the Supreme Court, but, but our case is first going to have to get to the to the Ninth Circuit, and then from the Ninth Circuit to the Supreme Court. But we're moving very very quickly, uh, fast track, if you will, and um, are very hopeful that um, at the end of the day we will see the kind of indication before the Supreme Court that will result in a reversal inevitably, of uh, these horrific uh, damages against uh, churches like Calvary Chapel.
1: I guess the one thing that we can be encouraged by is that uh, finally, and this has sort of been a certainly a rare event in my life, it finally seems as if there are some more level heads on the Ninth Circuit Court that they would actually partially grant the motion of a, the preliminary injunction, where I, I can remember seasons that the likelihood of the Ninth Court doing anything... <laughs> that would right. favor churches as uh, nearly impossible. So there there has been some encouraging aspects of this.
2: Yes, uh, we are very grateful to the many judicial appointments by former President Donald Trump. Uh, and it's times like now and moving forward that I think we'll be very grateful for a good number of years to come as we uh, take on very important cases impacting religious freedom so deeply and so broadly.
1: You know, the the only um, sort of disappointment here, and I offer this uh, remark with tongue firmly planted in cheek, is that I may have a come come to a point where I can no longer use my infamous catchphrase for all these years, the Ninth Circus Court of Appeals. <laughs> Maybe the ringmaster Man. has finally <laughs> taken the elephants and gone home. and <laughs> That would certainly be uh, welcome news. Well, we appreciate the update, Counselor. And again, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're winning this battle uh, in inches, but uh, it's inching in the right direction, and that's encouraging news. There's Brad Dacus, founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute. More information available on the web at pji.org. That's pji.org. 515 from KFAX. It's a little traffic.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: If you'll recall, it was just a scant week or so ago, late last month, GameStop trading mania. (laughs) It was at the time suggested that it was sparked by members of a Reddit investing community who hoped that they would uh, somehow strike back at the big boys on Wall Street who had long dismissed them as just amateurish money. Well, growing evidence seems to cast significant doubt on the idea that that episode was mostly the work of small-time investors. In fact, some of the really significant players—you know them, giant mutual funds and hedge funds— that have been apparently keeping an eye on exactly what retail investors are doing and saying on social media sites. Well, they seem to have put to work some of those lessons and bought and sold millions of shares during the stock's most volatile period of trading a couple of weeks ago. And sadly, as a result, some of the novice investors lost their shirts. Hundreds of millions of shares were traded, hundreds of millions at a 200 to $300 a share price point. Now, can you really believe that some college kid playing on the Internet with a little bit of money from daddy is spending that kind of money? In fact, when you look at the sheer number of shares that were traded over a very brief period of time, um, it's pretty convincing that there's a lot more to this story than what we've been told. To help us sort of unpeel the layers of the onion, Bob Zadek has joined us. He is the host of the longest-running libertarian talk show in the country, The Bob Zadek Show, nationally syndicated and broadcast here in the San Francisco Bay Area, Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m. The Answer. He is an attorney by trade. He is an expert on the United States Constitution, one of the best certainly that I know. And he's also, coincidentally, a best-selling author and joins us now to talk a bit about uh, to Reddit or not to Reddit. That is the question. And Bob, as always, a delight to have you with us.
3: Well, your introduction to this topic, thank you, Craig. Um, I could then take off and I could pause the words of your introduction and consume the next hour of radio time without even being interrupted once. But I'm not going to do that because that's not polite. But one comment you said in your teasing introduction, that would suggest, you said, that there's more to this than meets the eye. Craig, as your audience and you will find out, perhaps during the next segment or so, there's less to this than meets the eye. Not there's more. Um, And you will also, uh, your audience, I think, will conclude that to call buying stocks An investment as opposed to betting on red 21 at roulette to think that buying stocks is more of an investment well maybe it is and then again maybe it's ain't maybe it ain't but we will learn that uh, during the next segment so yes you it's wonderful that you picked this topic I have been tickled pink whatever that may mean talking about this topic Uh, with my colleagues, with people who are really savvy investors. And there's so much in this story. Uh, We are going to have a good time during this segment. So thank you very much for inviting me. And thank you for giving me a chance to talk about, although I am not an investment advisor, I am an investor of sorts. And I think about this a whole lot. And there's so much to talk about. We are going to have a heck of a good time for the next 30 minutes or so.
1: All right, so let's kind of work through some of the details here. First, to sort of set the the stage uh, uh, here for the benefit of listeners, I, I would concur with you. Uh, this is maybe one of the more extreme examples, but even on the average day, uh, the, the the notion of investing on Wall Street, I, I've often uh, uh, affectionately referred to Wall Street as Las Vegas on the Hudson, that there is a greater element of gambling to it than anything else, particularly when you see the ability of people to sort of uh, read charts and they're less interested in exactly what the fundamentals of a company looks like or the price earnings ratios, a lot of those sort of um, technical details and rather simply going in and and suggesting that either the stock is going to go short or go long and they're going to bet one way or the other. Sometimes they win, sometimes they lose. I suppose in this case here, maybe one of the bigger lessons, one of the bigger takeaways from it all is the notion, Bob, that, um, you know, Wall Street, like a lot of things in life, generally turns emotionally on one of two things. Either it's fear-driven or it's greed-driven. And uh, undoubtedly here, no matter where it was coming from, there seemed to be a pretty strong element of greed driving all that transpired. So break it down for us from your perspective. What exactly went on here?
3: Well, um, two comments, if I may. I'm going to come back to greed, my favorite word in the whole language, not because I admire the feeling, but because the word is so has so many meanings, but I'm going to come back to greed. But I'm going to start responding to your question with sharing with you an observation that I made shortly after graduating from college. And when I had, like, a few pennies in my pocket, and I thought, gee, somebody who graduated from college and now is working, uh, they ought to be, A, a, like a grown-up, and grown-ups, I think, buy stocks. So I have to start with pennies that I had in my disposable income, buy stocks. And I looked into buying stocks, and what I concluded early on when I was just a few seconds into being a grown-up, if I ever was, I concluded the following, and this is the point I want to share. Of all the investments I can think of on the planet, buying stocks is unique in one very telling aspect is that buying a stock a stock a security ownership in general Motors, a stock certificate has absolutely no and i'm going to use words very intentionally and very carefully has no intrinsic value here's what i mean when you buy a bond for example another piece of paper it used to be now it's digital when you buy a bond you have a package of valuable rights somebody owes you money somebody has promised to pay you interest if they don't pay the debt you can sue them and the courts will enforce your rights if they don't pay you the interest they will you can sue them so you have real tangible rights they may not be that valuable but you have rights If you buy real estate, well, you can use the real estate. You can live on it. You can walk on it. You can rent it. It has a value. It has a use. When you buy gold, somebody will will want the gold to make jewelry or to make electronics or to make coins. Gold has an intrinsic value. People buy gold for its utilitarian value. On and you buy art as an investment. But art is pretty. People like it. They buy it to look at it. It has a value. Nobody buys a stock to look at it. You see where I'm driving at? Stocks have no value at all other than the only value, and Craig, this is without exception, the only value a security, a stock certificate has is what you think or hope. Somebody in the future will pay, pay you to buy it from you. So you are buying only because you think you can predict what somebody else will decide it's worth in the future. You are a mind reader. Now, you say to yourself, this mythical person who's going to be buying this stock when I choose to sell it, how are they going to determine the value? Well, I know these guys, these stock buyers, they look at earnings, they look at products, they look at things, and they look at things, other factors, and they say, based upon these other factors, the stock is worth 10. But there's no correlation between the factors and the value, because the stock is still worth nothing. So no matter how you analyze buying stocks, it comes down to... All you are doing is you are trying to predict what somebody else, who let's say is at least as smart as you, is going to pay you to buy it in the future. And remember, every time somebody sells a a stock in the market or elsewhere, they are selling it to somebody. You're selling it, Craig. You have decided this is the perfect time to sell. Somebody as smart as you says this is the perfect time to buy One of you is wrong. Mm. In every trade, somebody is stupid. Somebody is making a mistake in every single trade. And there are trillions of trades in the market. And half of them, somebody is wrong. Now, so that's what makes stock extraordinary unusual. Every time you buy or sell a security, you're doing so only based upon what you think Somebody else will do in the future you're trying to be a mind reader and that's what makes stocks unique and uh, as to what happened in as we'll get into in this segment as to what happened is you had a bunch of investors who for whatever reason they said let's buy the stock in this case we'll get into the shorts because we know somebody tomorrow is going to want to buy their stock from us. They're going to have to buy it from us. So let's buy it based upon the fact that we strongly suspect there will be a buyer for a higher price in the future. It's remarkable. That's all there is to stock investing. But but people act like it's really investing, determining future value, when all you're doing is being a mind reader about the future.
1: Yeah, you would probably, to some degree, have as much luck uh, looking into the future with a crystal ball. Uh, like
3: <laughs> the, the irony, of it's course... It's like betting on whether whether bell-bottoms are going to come back. You're trying to... Yeah,
1: precisely. ...what
3: your fashion will be. That's what it's like. Uh, uh,
1: and there were a few of us that remember when they were here and wished they'd never shown up in the first place. <laughs> oh, my what's, God. What's right. ironic I'll about... I'll
3: show you the pictures. I'll show you the pictures of <laughs> me at Studio 54.
1: <laughs> oh oh, i gotta see this. <laughs> Well, what's ironic about all of this is, of course, when it comes to investing, Bob Zadek makes a very valid point, and that is that there's no real utilitarian use. It's not like buying a car, driving it for a while, and then selling it, or buying a home, residing in it, raising a family, and then selling it, where at some point you recognize that there's either going to be appreciation in value, or in the case of the car, unless it's maybe a collector car, depreciation in value, As Bob points out, this is really gambling. And the buyer and the seller in that moment have decided that they're smarter than the other. One says this is the ideal time to sell. The other one says, for me, this is the ideal time to buy. In reality, can they both be right at the same time? We know certainly there have been some occasions when they've both been wrong. And, And, of course, there are times when maybe one is right and not the other. But are there cases where they're both wrong at the same time? We'll explore that as we continue to peel back the onion, talking about what transpired with the whole GameStop trading frenzy, a company that closed over 300 stores late last year and continues to whittle down from a high of 4,400 locations across the country because they, like many other brick-and-mortar retailers, are feeling the stress, the stress of covid and the stress of the internet. Best-selling author, syndicated talk show host Bob Zadek with us. More information on the web at bobzadek.com, B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. Time out, back with more as Lifeline continues.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: All right, back to the conversation with syndicated talk show host Bob Zadek. His program heard across the Bay Area and uh, the nation Sunday mornings, West Coast time at 8 a.m. Locally, you can catch the program on 860 a.m. The answer. Bob's website has a whole treasure trove of information, resources, details about past guests, podcasts, the whole beans. You can check them out online at BobZadek.com, B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K. The one thing I found interesting, Bob, in in the wake of the, the the early rumblings related to what transpired with GameStop, and I think a lot of a lot of casual people out there like myself said, G- GameStop, are they still in business? To to hear that of the forty-seven million shares that are available in the stock market for buying and selling related to GameStop that we saw first the share price move from $17 a share to almost 500 a share in the span of just three short weeks. And over the most volatile trading days, shares changed hands 554 million times. That's 11 times the number of total shares available. That begins to suggest to me that these are not college kids playing on Reddit. This is not a... Uh, Uh, Do they still have the over 50 ladies gambling or investment clubs? I don't know. It it, it doesn't appear to me that this is little money. Rather, it seems to suggest, just based on the share price and the sheer amount of money moving around, that it has to be some of the big boys, meaning the hedge funds, have to play a big role in this, wouldn't you think?
3: They were hedging, thus the name hedge funds. And in, it, in this, and it's very simple to explain. Um, this all started when hedge funds, which as a financial product, they and we all know this from so much media coverage, they form a belief that a security is overpriced. In this case, GameStop, that it's not worth what uh, what it's trading at. And they say it's going to go down eventually when people discover that it's garbage. So what they do is, in anticipation of it going down, they sell stock they don't own. That sounds like it's illegal, but they borrow the stock when it's trading at a making up a number, when it's trading at 10, they borrow the stock and they sell the borrowed stock at 10. Now, why do they do that? Because they say it's going to be worth one in a month or in a year. And when it's worth one, we will then buy it at one to return the stock we borrowed. And we will have, in reverse order, bought it at one and sold it at 10. That's what a short sell is. The problem is, so short sellers, it's a valid, appropriate. Transaction happens all the time. Now, what happened was there was, we all have heard the phrase, short squeeze. Well, it's public knowledge. If somebody sells the stock short, that information is public. Now, what happens is if the stock starts to go up, now what happens is the the people who sold it short are now starting to get nervous. Because now, instead of having to buy the stock in the future at 1 and make a profit, they're going to have to buy it at 50 to give back the shares they sold at 10. So they sold it at 10 and bought it at 50, and it keeps on going up. Well, sooner or later, those short sellers start to get nervous, and they say, We got it bailed. And therefore, they have to pay back the shares they borrowed, which means they have to go into the market. And buy more. Well, that creates further demand, thereby further increasing the value of the shares. And that's, in a few simple sentences, that's what happened. And that contributed to the increase. So as the short sellers cover their position by buying, now there's even more buying activity. And demand goes up. Supply is fixed. Price has to go up. And that's how the stock went through the roof now there is understand there liz warren no surprise was calling for an investigation joe biden is looking into it whatever that even means and everybody is saying there ought to be a law nothing happened people simply made decisions to buy and to sell and some lost and some won There was no dishonesty, nobody did anything improper, nobody defrauded anybody, people made bunches of decisions. This is the marketplace functioning as it should. And since we started the show with an understanding, a stock has no intrinsic value. Its value is zero. Every security has a value of zero. And. Any value after that is only what we think somebody else will pay for it. But it has no value. It's only what we think somebody will pay for it. And therefore, to say that uh, there was irrationality, who cares? Once you allow people to buy and sell something, we don't care about the reason. They have the freedom to buy and to sell. And the last observation I'd like to make, Craig, if I may, is There really are two simultaneous stock markets and and securities trades. There is trading and investing. The trading is the casino. Buying and selling, going up and down based upon the weather, based upon the politics, based upon the Super Bowl. People have feelings, and they buy and sell securities, and they trade in and out, in and out, same day, once a week, once a month. That's what they do. They do it for the action, and they do it because they think they can outguess the market. And then there are investors. I suspect, Craig, you are in that category, as I am. I buy securities, and I say, if I do it right, I will never sell, ever, 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 ever. And it will just, in the long term, it will go up because this company is sound, its value will go up. It'll pay more of a dividend. And I, it is a home for money where it's safe. That's investing. And if I am investing and I buy Procter & Gamble, a boring old Fortune 500 company, I don't care what happens to the stock. I don't care if it goes up, goes down, wildly fluctuates, because I know 10 years from now I have a pretty good idea what it's going to be worth. And what it's worth along the way who cares i'm not going to sell it so it doesn't matter so an investor doesn't look at the stock price every day an investor never looks at the stock price takes his dividend is comfortable that its money is safe and you go about your life and the investing part of the stock market is unaffected by all this action the trading part is but trading is per se action so in short all the attention that this kerfuffle got, was undeserved. It was like abusing and nothing more.
1: One of the aspects, and we can talk more about this, Bob, after the break, but one of the aspects that caught my attention was the implication, especially as you indicate, there had been all of this talk in Washington, D.C. We're going to get to the bottom of this. We're going to investigate it and whatever all that means. But the suggestion was that somehow there was not something nefarious going on here, in so much as apparently the hedge funds the mutual funds investing in this stock um, had, we in the old days, we would say their ear to the ground, meaning they were paying attention to the buzz taking place on Reddit and were in part responding to all of that and somehow suggesting that that, therefore, requires some new level of regulation. Well, what struck me about that is... What is the difference between that sort of information gathering as part of uh, investing decisions or gambling decisions in this case from watching what stories are in the newspaper or listening to conversations on the BART train going to work in the morning? If it is a free market where information is shared freely, and we're not talking about insider trading here, that somebody had a scoop from inside the company that nobody else was privy to, and therefore they were able to take advantage, but that didn't take place here. So why the suggestion that somehow there needs to be an additional layer of regulation that somehow paying attention to the buzz going on out there was something illegal or immoral. We'll talk about that as our conversation continues. Constitutional expert, lawyer, best-selling author, and talk show host Bob Zadek with us tonight. Information about Bob's talk show, The Bob Zadek Show, heard locally in the San Francisco Bay Area, Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. on 860 a.m. The Answer. You can check out Bob and get more information online about his show at BobZadek.com, com. B o b z a d e k. Dot com. Let's get this time out for a traffic update.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Back to our conversation with best-selling author and talk show host Bob Zadek of The Bob Zadek Show, Sunday mornings, 8 o'clock, here locally in the Bay Area on 860 AM, The Answer. More information on the web at bobzadek.com. Dot com. We've been talking about the whole GameStop debacle. Um, there has been word about, gee, maybe even somebody committed suicide over all of this because they got in and they thought that they had potentially, by shorting the stock, only lost in the neighborhood of $10,000, only to learn that, no, it was roughly seven hundred and thirty thousand dollars, which I guess would even give the the strongest stomach a a potential gastric disaster. That said, one of the rumors afloat is that somehow the hedge funds, the mutual funds, have had their ear to the proverbial ground, carefully watching the trends and what was being said on social media and then responding accordingly. Bob, is that insider trading or is that just simply doing what people have always done, listening to what's going on in the street and if they think there's a hot new trend that might somehow make them money, heading in that direction. That's what it seems to be to me.
3: The criminalization of insider trading, whatever that even means, is one of the great market failures in America. Sometime in the 1960s, lawyers at the Securities and Exchange Commission decided to criminalize. They, in, they created a crime that Congress never created called insider trading. And they said, there's something inherently wrong with it. Let's punish people who do it. Now, Craig, uh, insider trading is one of the most widely misunderstood concepts In all of finance and here's what I mean the you and I when we buy a security we would like to know that when we buy it it is trading at a price when we buy it that it's really worth in other words the market is efficient and similarly when we sell we want to know we're getting the market price which is what the stock is really worth now the way a security will most closely be priced at what it's worth is if the people who know the most about that security are buying and selling it. If, if you have a piece of art that, um, that you bought for investment, and if you tried to sell it in a marketplace where nobody knew anything about fine art, You'll have no idea in that marketplace what this piece of art is actually worth because people are buying and selling it based upon irrationality. Therefore, insider trading should be not only permitted, it should be mandatory. That way, the people who know the most about a security – are the ones who are creating the market value. And now we really know, we really know what stocks are worth. It is profoundly irrational to criminalize insider trading. There is nothing wrong with some people having more information than others unless the person with more information manipulates the market and misleads and defrauds the buyer. But in the stock market, where buyers and sellers never meet each other, they're traded on an exchange. Then understand, in every trade in the world, we know one of those two people has more information than the other. What's the big deal? You cannot rationally defend the criminalization of insider trading. It should be mandatory. It's insane and I hope anybody who buys themselves has all kinds of information because that means they know what they're doing.
1: Well the other issue here too, and this is maybe an important warning note to conclude our discussion on, and that is the idea that with the advent of social media people have taken to um, a variety of platforms to expose every bit of information about their daily lives, what they do, what they had for lunch, when they leave the house, when they come home. And so if the idea that somehow Wall Street has uh, had this big secret weapon, that they have been scraping social media sites for information regarding trends and what have you, well, if that's the big secret, the secret is out. And we are the ones, the general public, that put the secret out there because we are the ones who have been posting all of this information. So somehow the notion that... Um, by Wall Street acting on information that is readily publicly available, not somehow hidden, uh, and, and suggests that there's something wrong about this. You you may not be happy with the end result if you're on the short end of that stick, but as Bob Zadek just pointed out, they're simply using the information that's readily available to all of us, by the way, in order to make buying and crazy. sell decisions.
3: I don't care. I just want... I don't care. I don't want to try to make sure everybody has the same information. That's impossible. It's like making sure everybody has the same IQ. It can't be done. Right.
1: Exactly. Exactly. But but the reality is that information is all out there, and so there's nothing there's nothing hidden about this. So to suggest that now we need to uh, somehow regulate that is is just a fool's folly. Well, Bob, we appreciate the time giving us some insights into this story. And, yep, as it turns out, not quite as much there there as we thought was there. Bob Zadek, the host of The Bob Zadek Show. Again, his program can be heard each and every Sunday where he unpacks issues like this and many others. Lots of great guests, information rock solid, and a great way to start your Sunday morning. That's again at 8 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m., The Answer. Missed the show? No problem. Podcast available. Check them out online at bobzadek.com. That's B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K dot com. And our thanks to talk show host Bob Zadek for spending some time with us on this Tuesday evening. It's 6 o'clock from KFAX. Let's see what's going on in the world of traffic ahead of you, shall we?